It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash futureinvestor slash radio. This is Bloomberg Law. Some complicated international law issues here. What kind of docket is Chief Justice Roberts facing? Interviews with prominent attorneys and Bloomberg legal experts. Joining me is Bloomberg News Supreme Court reporter Greg Storr. Neil Devins, a professor at William & Mary Law School. And analysis of important legal issues, cases, and headlines. Is this essentially the Fifth Circuit haunting? He has presided over a so-called hot bench at the Supreme Court. Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. This is Bloomberg Law. I'm Nathan Hager sitting in for June Grosso this week. Today we are devoting the entire hour to the upcoming Supreme Court term as the justices take up some of the hottest button issues in American politics and policy. From abortion and Second Amendment rights to affirmative action and national security, We'll look at what's on the docket with Bloomberg Government Supreme Court reporter Kimberly Strawbridge-Robinson, and we'll check in with our political contributors, Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. But first, this latest term for the high court comes at a time when public confidence appears to be flagging in the highest court in the land, and concerns are building that the justices may be too driven by politics. So let's talk about that. We're joined now by Bloomberg News Supreme Court reporter, Greg Stork. Greg, it's good to have you with us. And I know you've been taking a look at some of the latest polling surrounding the high court. It seems as though approval is dropping pretty significantly, even over this past summer. What's driving that? Yeah, so uh, there have been several polls out. They all show uh, declining approval. A Marquette Law School poll that came out uh, a few days ago showed that public approval went down from 60% in July to just 49% now. And uh, that drop was almost entirely attributable to uh, Democrats' view of the court. Uh, Democrats have seen some things that the court has done over the summer, uh, most notably uh, the action letting that Texas abortion law take effect. And apparently that's having an effect, and Democrats are very worried about what the court uh, is likely to do going forward. Um, There was some previous drop before among Republicans on the court, but now it's both sides. So are we seeing, you mentioned that uh, the the Democrats are losing confidence in the court. Are we seeing a converse jump in support for the court from Republicans? No, 
not at all. There was a hmm. small bump in this Marquette poll, a small bump up. Uh, what actually happened was that uh, uh, in, in an earlier uh, round, uh, the court uh, dropped uh, significantly basically over the course of the last Supreme Court term up until July of this year. And that's even though the court had become more conservative because Amy Coney Barrett had joined the court taking the place of uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. A little harder to say exactly why that is. Uh, Charles Franklin, who's the director of the Marquette poll, uh, talked about, uh, you know, maybe it's the Republicans and that once since they've lost the presidency were kind of you know, losing uh, uh, all institutions were sort of falling from favor uh, among Republicans, and the Supreme Court is part of that. Um, it may also be that that uh, some Republicans wanted the court to move uh, more strongly in a conservative direction than it already has. For example, uh, the court did not intervene to to help Donald Trump out in, in his bid to overturn the election results. And it may be, we don't know for sure, it may be that that was one of the things that disappointed Republicans and caused a drop in the approval rating. You know, in recent days, we've heard publicly from Justice Barrett, as well as uh, Justices Clarence Thomas on one side of the spectrum and Stephen Breyer on the other, sounding as though they really want to take pains to assure people that the high court isn't driven by politics. How mindful are the justices themselves of the idea that their decisions may be viewed through a political lens? like they're very mindful. Now, at least in the case of of Justice Breyer, this is something he's been talking about for years and years. Obviously, Justice Barrett is a new justice. Uh, Hers was was, uh, uh, somewhat ironic, her her, uh, statement that the court is is not a partisan institution. She did that at an event in Kentucky uh, with Mitch McConnell, the Senate Minority Leader, who made sure she got confirmed right alongside her. In fact, he introduced her. Uh, So kind of an odd setting to be claiming that the court is not a a partisan institution. Unquestionably, all the justices see what's happening in terms of of public approval. And, and, uh, you know, there's also the polls also show that the court is increasingly seeing the court as being more partisan and political. And the justices see that, uh, you know, they say over and over, that's not how we do our jobs. And they are trying to push back as best they can, or at least (laughs) uh, to some degree, they're trying to push back uh, against that perception. Of course, it's been difficult to separate politics from the Supreme Court for quite some time. Where would you say the level of at least public perception of politicization of the court is compared to uh, past high courts? It is uh, growing. Um, the Marquette poll only goes back a couple of years, but it's at the highest level than it has been. Now, it's still less than half. The question is, uh, does the court decide cases based on politics or on the law? And about 39% said uh, mainly on politics. Uh, so that's under 50%, but still pretty high for the court. Um, you know, the court has had other periods where, where people thought of it as being, being very political. Bush v. Gore is an obvious example. Here, it's more of a, of a series of things, a lot of which are, are kind of outside the court's control. It is the manner in which uh, justices have been, have been nominated to the court, the whole uh, Merrick Garland, the Republican refusal to allow a vote there, the death of Justice Ginsburg, the, the push uh, to get, uh, Republican push to get Amy Coney Barrett on the court. Those have contributed to the perception of the court as being partisan. Um, and, and then, of course, you know, a number of Supreme Court cases along the way involving uh, 
election law and voting and, and you know, dealing with very, very political issues. Bloomberg News Supreme Court reporter Greg Stork. Greg, stay with us. Coming up next, we're going to be talking about maybe the mo- one of the most politically freighted cases coming up on this Supreme Court term. That would be the abortion challenge out of Mississippi. You're listening to Bloomberg Law. I'm Nathan Hager, sitting in for June Grosso this week. It's 13 minutes past the hour, and this is Bloomberg. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. This is Bloomberg Law. I'm Nathan Hager. June Grosso is away this week. We're looking ahead to the start of the Supreme Court term coming up in just a little more than a week. And Bloomberg News Supreme Court reporter Greg Storr is back with me now. And Greg, it's probably safe to say the case that probably is most highly anticipated, at least politically and maybe in every other way, is this challenge to abortion rights out of Mississippi. Is it safe to call this the most direct challenge to Roe v. Wade that we've seen come before this high court? Yeah, certainly in a generation, certainly since the 1992 Planned Parenthood versus Casey decision, which was the one that really reaffirmed Roe and set out that, that standard of, of viability that, that said that uh, up until the point where a fetus is capable of living outside uh, outside the woman, it, it uh, states have very little authority to uh, to limit the ability of, of people to, to get an abortion. And I understand that uh, when this case does come before the high court on December 1st, it's going to be the only set of arguments that they're going to be hearing that day. So it could leave a little more wiggle room for the justices to hear arguments longer than it normally would in the uh, time allotted. How could that potentially play into uh, what we hear from both sides when this case comes up? Probably will mean we will hear hear an awful lot of questions that may not give a clear picture of, of where the court is going to go. Uh, the court is also uh uh, adopting a new hybrid argument format this term. So if you recall the last uh, term, term in a quarter or so when they were hearing telephone arguments, the justices started asking questions. Uh, they took turns one by one in seniority order. 
instead of kind of the free-for-all that, that has been the traditional format for Supreme Court arguments. Uh, and, and what they're going to do this term is first they're going to have a free-for-all, and then at the end of each lawyer's argument, they're going to have time for each justice to go one by one. And uh, that may lend itself, at least that last part, may lend itself to justices making sure they ask questions of both sides and, and perhaps not leaving us with as clear a picture of exactly what's going to happen. It's hard to say because it's going to be a brand new format and obviously uh, just a huge case. Does this mean we're actually going to hear from Justice Clarence Thomas, who's historically been silent during most uh, arguments before the Supreme Court, although uh, last year during the pandemic, uh, it was just audio, I think we probably did hear him speak a little bit more than once. Yeah, we did hear him uh, pretty regularly last term because of that justice-by-justice format. So the way it would work would be the chief justice would, would start first, and he would ask his questions, and then the next most senior justice, who was Justice Thomas, would have a turn. And typically, Justice Thomas did have questions for, for both sides. Um, now, with this hybrid format, it's hard to say. It may be that Justice Thomas waits until the end of the, the, the session when it's, and it waits till it's his turn and then asks some questions. He's given different uh, uh, explanations for why he doesn't jump in, but part of it is he's, he's clearly less comfortable than some of his colleagues with that free-for-all nature where you're having to jump in and interrupt and the lawyer doesn't get a chance to, to finish his or her uh, argument. Uh, so we'll just have to see. And these will be the first direct arguments on abortion rights for the newest Supreme Court Justice, Amy Coney Barrett, who, of course, has been pretty outspoken in her views on abortion rights before joining the high court. Is she going to be the one you're going to be watching most closely here, do you think? She and probably Justice Kavanaugh. Uh, and, and Chief Justice Roberts as well. Those three are the ones whose, whose votes seem like they, they might have the most uh, flexibility to them. Uh, Justices Barrett and Kavanaugh so far have seemed less willing to, have been less willing than their more, some of their conservative colleagues to overturn precedents and issue sweeping rulings. They have tended to be a little more case by case. We'll see what happens in, in the abortion context. Um, but she will certainly be somebody who I will be watching very closely, yes. And of course, this case is going to be coming on the heels of the Supreme Court allowing the Texas law to go forward that bans most abortions after six weeks. How could that decision play into what we hear in the Mississippi case? Well, we have a brand new dynamic. Uh, the abortion rights groups and the, provi- the clinics just filed a request for the Supreme Court um, asking them to hear a case about Texas on the merits. What the Supreme Court did previously was just an emergency application letting the law take effect. And, and now the providers are, are asking the court to basically bypass the federal appeals court level, uh, which is something the court rarely does and decide not so much the underlying uh, abortion issue, but this whole question of can a state set up a law in a way that makes it really, really hard to challenge because there's no government official who challenges the law. Remember the Texas law, it sets up this private enforcement system uh, where anybody can sue, but the government, no government agency has the ability to sue uh, over an abortion. And uh, that's sort of the thing that has stymied 
abortion rights advocates. It's made it hard for a court to know who can I enjoin to block enforcement of this law. And so the providers are asking the Supreme Court to very quickly decide, perhaps alongside the Mississippi case, maybe even uh, on the same day of the argument or, or very close by, asking the Supreme Court to rule on whether a state can set up a system like that that makes it uh, virtually impossible to get an injunction stopping an unconstitutional law. Now, we've already seen the effects of this Texas law play out here with women driving hundreds of miles out of state to obtain abortion services in states that still allow them. Uh, Is this the kind of thing that the court considers the effects of previous decisions when it takes up a case like the one in Mississippi? Some justices say absolutely they consider that. Uh, a justice like Stephen Breyer will say he, he absolutely looks at the effects. That's part of the uh, that's part of the role of the court to think about those sorts of things. Other justices will say no. Our job is to interpret the law um, and let the chips fall where they may. And and so those effects are things that you know Congress and state legislatures uh, and voters should should all worry about. But our role is to to decide on the law. That being said, they are all very aware of what's happening, and even among those justices who say that's not what we should consider, it is, it is certainly something that they are aware of when they make their decision. The arguments are coming up on December 1st in the Mississippi case. Of course, the Supreme Court term runs until June, Greg. Should we expect that this is probably going to be one of the last decisions that we hear from the court this term? Yeah, I would be surprised if this is a a quick decision. Um, you know, it, it's it's the last few years in particular, the court has uh, really backloaded its its opinions and, and issued the biggest ones uh, near the end. I would expect this this to be the case. All the more so if they were to add that Texas case onto it as well, uh, because then they would be uh, no doubt uh, uh, working on those opinions in tandem. All right. Well, we'll be checking back with you often as this Supreme Court term plays out. Bloomberg News Supreme Court reporter Greg Storg. And coming up on this High Court edition of Bloomberg Law, we look at the rest of the Supreme Court stock at this term with Kimberly Strawbridge Robinson of Bloomberg Government. I'm Nathan Hager, sitting in for June Grosso this week. It's 25 minutes past the hour, and this is Bloomberg. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg Law. I'm Nathan Hager in for June Grosso this week. We're looking ahead to the start of a new Supreme Court term. And while abortion rights may be the hottest button issue the justices are taking up in this next few months, it is far from the only contentious case on the docket. And for a look at what else is on the high court slate, we're very pleased to be joined by Bloomberg government Supreme Court reporter Kimberly Strawbridge Robinson. Kimberly, it's great to have you with us. And of course, it's not just abortion rights. There's also a high-profile Second Amendment matter coming up this term. You know, this is going to be a really big term with abortion and Second Amendment rights. This case comes out of New York and really challenges 
a New York scheme for providing concealed carry permits. Obviously, New York has some of the most restrictive gun laws in the country. What kind of an impact could this case have? Well, this is, you know, really a question that's been left un- unanswered uh, since the court um, made its landmark ruling uh, about a decade ago in a case called Heller. And this will be a follow-up on that. You know, this case will affect kind of concealed carry schemes uh, throughout the country. They kind of vary quite a bit, as you can imagine, depending on, you know, the politics in the state there. Uh, but there are a number of states like New York that have, you know, very strict concealed carry permits. And in these states, the reason why we see officials say that they are very strict with handing out these permits is because they feel like it it's a matter of public safety. And so, you know, how the Supreme Court comes out in this case, the specific ruling it has could really, you know, not just affect these these concealed carry schemes, but, you know, could affect gun rights more broadly. Yeah, it's interesting that you cast this as sort of a follow-up to the Heller case, which for uh, people who might not recall it was, uh, as far as I understand it, the case that essentially set the idea that the Second Amendment does apply uh, individual uh, right to keep and bear arms. So how could this case potentially expand that? How does uh, that Heller case uh, sort of set a precedent for what we could see from the justices on this case? Well, you're absolutely right that Heller really took this broader view of the Second Amendment than courts had been willing to give it in the past. You know, but in saying that there was this right, the court didn't really say a lot about how you know, lower courts should look at other gun restrictions. And so this case could very well set the standard, you know, for how courts should analyze challenges to other gun restrictions. So should it take a really skeptical look uh, whenever governments try to put limits, not just on concealed carry permits, but things like bump stock bans or assault rifle bans, um, or should they allow the legislature more leeway? You know, that's something that I think a lot of people are really hoping to get an answer to. Now, it's not just the Second Amendment that the high court's going to be taking up, of course. I see that they're also going to be looking at affirmative action in college admissions again. Isn't this something that they've ruled on pretty recently? It is. There were a couple of cases out of Texas um, involving the University of Austin where, you know, it looked like the court was on the verge of cutting back on, you know, how universities could use race in their admissions process, uh, but they stopped short um, with a vote by then-Justice Anthony Kennedy. Now, of course, the composition of the court is much, much different, and there's, you know, a fear among those in university setting that the Supreme Court is really going to restrict that if they do end up taking this case. Now that we do have this 6-3 majority of conservatives in the high court, what's the expectation or is there a kind of an expectation of how the justices might uh, view this matter, the idea of race being a factor in college admissions? Well, it's a really interesting question because even though we know a lot about you know, some of the new justices, we don't know a lot about what they think about affirmative action. So I'm talking specifically here about the Trump appointees, of which there were three. But I will say that, you know, in the past, when conservatives and liberal issues have been up at the court, liberals have really relied um, most recently on Chief Justice Roberts to kind of pull the court's conservatives back and take a go-slow approach. What are some of the less heralded cases that you're looking at this term? 
Well, I think one case that would be a blockbuster if it weren't any other term is the case of the Boston Marathon bomber. Now, um, this is United States versus Cernayoff. The Supreme Court's going to hear it pretty early in its term. And, you know, listeners may recall that, you know, the, one of the brothers there um, received a capital sentence, but it was overturned. And here we see the Biden administration is trying to reinstate that uh, at the Supreme Court. The issue isn't really one of capital sentencing, but it's a really interesting issue for the Biden administration, which has said that it is against the death penalty. And yet we see it in this case trying to reinstate it. So that'll be something to watch, um, of course, as you know, the administration tries to figure out how it's going to deal with some of you know, what it considers the worst of the worst criminals. A very busy term on the way. Bloomberg Government Supreme Court reporter Kimberly Strawbridge-Robinson, thanks for being with us ahead of it. And coming up on this Supreme Court preterm edition of Bloomberg Law, we look deeper into an issue the justices say they try to avoid. That would be politics. We'll be speaking with Bloomberg political contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano. I'm Nathan Hager in for June Grosso this week. It's 39 minutes past the hour and this is Bloomberg. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers, they're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, The promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, Top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to a special Supreme Court edition of Bloomberg Law as we look ahead to the high court's upcoming term. I'm Nathan Hager in for June Grosso this week. Well, much as the justices say they try to stay above the political fray, it can be difficult to separate politics from the decisions that those nine men and women robed in black hand down on some of the most contentious issues in this deeply divided country. So as we get set for this new term, we do want to take a closer look at the politics of the Supreme Court. For that, we're joined by Bloomberg political contributors Jeannie Shanzano, professor of political science at Iona College and author of the new book, American Democracy in Crisis, and Rick 
Davis is with us as well, former campaign manager for John McCain's presidential campaigns. It's good to have you both with us on this edition of Bloomberg Law. And it does seem like the justices have gone out of their way, particularly lately, to say that they really aren't political. Uh, Jeannie, I'll start with you. What about this slate of cases that is coming up in the new term. What does that say about just how political? Well, to your point, it has been striking. And we've heard Justice Amy Coney Barrett out at the University of Louisville making the case that, you know, we are not a political institution. Justice Breyer has this book out in just the last couple of weeks saying essentially the same thing. And I think what they're responding to is this sort of crisis of legitimacy that they're feeling. We've got a president who has set up a presidential commission via executive order in April, looking at the makeup of the court and asking questions about court packing, about mandatory retirement ages, all those kinds of structural changes to the court. So I do think the court is feeling some pressure. And this upcoming term, they have a bevy of cases that are, you know, going to be politically fraught. And number one on the list is, of course, the case out of Mississippi challenging Roe v. Wade, which is docketed for a hearing on December 1st. But that is really just the start of what is going to be, I think, a fairly potential potentially contentious year as the court returns from its, you know, its pandemic um, lockdown where they were all online and remote. They are now coming back in person in the fall, although the public can't be there to watch them. Um, But they're going to be in person for the first time since March 2020. And they are coming out of a term in which they had a remarkable number of unanimous opinions. And yet the last day of the term, you had these two cases that really showed this stark sort of partisan divide on the voting rights case, particularly out of Arizona that Rick knows so well. So, you know, there's a lot to contend with. And I think a lot of questions going forward this term as how the court contends with this sort of crisis of legitimacy that it's facing. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the uh, last few days of the previous term where it did seem as though there was that pivot toward a lot more politically fraught decisions. Rick Davis, is that sort of a wave that's going to carry this Supreme Court into this new term? We're going to see a lot more uh, politically fraught cases coming our way? Yeah, I think that the courts usually reflect, you know, what's currently happening in society and trends that are happening. Uh, But this court really does go out of its way right now to say, you know, hey, we're not trying to be political. Uh, in, in in politics, we have a technical term for that, saying the guilty dog barks the loudest. Um, I, I really think that they're 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 already there. Uh, if you look at the what's called the shadow docket by some uh, of what they did when they weren't in session this summer, I mean, they got into some really hairy issues of free speech and evictions, immigration. Uh, this recent uh, rejection of the Texas case that everybody was looking uh, for guidance from. So I think that when you when you start looking at what they're doing versus what they're saying, this is going to be an intensely political uh, uh, court this year. The shadow docket, Jeannie, is something that uh, Justice Breyer has talked about in particular heading into this new term. What does that say about the politicization, the fact that we have seen the justices make a lot more rapid decisions without a whole lot of public argument? 
So it is, I think, one of the stunning developments of the Roberts Court in the last couple years, the last few years. Number one, their sort of traditional docket where they have a full hearing and we get signed opinions and oral arguments and all of that has shrunk to levels we haven't seen since the Civil War. I think last term they were at about 53, 54 traditionally docketed cases. And yet the shadow docket that you're mentioning, they were deeply engaged in the shadow docket and they were essentially dealing with these very contentious issues, you know, involving, for instance, religious protections in the face of the COVID restrictions coming out of the states. Um, As Rick just mentioned, you know, this abortion case out of Texas and so many other things. And I think one of the big things to watch for in this upcoming term is does the rise of the shadow docket continue to play such a big role going forward? I think for any institutionalist, like, say, a Chief Justice John Roberts or, you know, even a Brett Kavanaugh or, or a Justice Breyer, that is a real concern. And so I think one of the things to watch for, and it looks now like we are going to have a, a fairly shrunk traditional docket, is does that docket size increase at all? And does the shadow docket start to diminish? If that doesn't happen, all of these questions about the role of politics in the court will continue to play a role. Jeannie Shanzano of Iona College is with us, along with former McCain campaign manager Rick Davis. Rick, the uh, Supreme Court is heading into this new term once again with a 6-3 conservative majority. How does that play into the politics here? Is Justice Barrett going to be at the center of what what court watchers are going to be looking at? Is it possible still to have a swing vote in a Supreme Court like this? Well, certainly uh, Amy Comey Amy Coney Barrett uh, is one of the more controversial justices and and going into a docket full of abortion cases. So uh, uh, her outspoken uh, uh, opposition to abortion uh, prior to becoming a judge is going to be something that people are going to be watching significantly. And of course, uh, uh, her new position on the court could be part of the balance shift on uh, very important issues related to abortion. That being said, Uh, Even Chief Justice Roberts has been willing to cross that ideological aisle, uh, not so much a political aisle, uh, appointed by George W. Bush. He has sided with the minority recently uh, on cases where people would have thought uh, he might have gone straight down the line, you know, along with the other Republican appointed justices. So, uh, sure, uh, people are going to be watching that significantly, especially because uh, when the chief judge moves uh, outside his political sort of uh, uh, legacy, uh, that's something people have a tendency to watch uh, intently uh, for clues as to what's going to happen in the future. In the previous term, Jeannie, uh, there was a lot of talk about Justice Brett Kavanaugh as a possible swing vote. How could he play into this next term? That's right. Another really important development last term is that Brett Kavanaugh, and we all lived through his very contentious uh, confirmation hearing, he ended up being the justice that was the most in the majority. He was in the majority on all but two cases. He was followed by Roberts, who was in the majority on all but four, which leads you to suspect that perhaps Kavanaugh is bucking Roberts for that all-important role of the swing vote on the court, which would be a lot more in keeping with what we've seen historically, because it's not 
not usually the case that the chief justice is the swing vote. So you've got Kavanaugh and Roberts, but got to keep an eye on Amy Coney Barrett. She was not far behind those two last term, but it's a little difficult to tell because she wasn't there for 10 of the merited signed cases that were heard on the docket. So sort of watching to see this term, who ends up in that all-important swing vote role. And of course, if you put those three together, they form quite a potential moderating force on the court if they hang together in some of these key cases. And that's a big if. Of course, we're going to be watching, I would think, for developments from this panel on court reform that President Biden enacted through an executive order just a couple months back. We haven't heard much from them heading into this term. Rick Davis, what kind of developments could we expect there? Well, I think that runs sort of parallel with this this uh, court session, and I think you're going to hear quite a bit of uh, discussion about this on Capitol Hill because, of course, uh, anything uh, that's close to court packing, as uh, Jeannie had mentioned earlier, is going to have incredible political opposition by Republicans. And so uh, I think that, that you're going to have an enormous amount of reporting this year on, on issues relevant to the Supreme Court, not just the cases uh, that are uh, historic in nature uh, for this court and what they will hear uh, in the Supreme Court, but also the political debate around whether or not this court uh, and, the, and really the federal judiciary uh, is, is equipped for the future and, uh, and what some of those uh, reforms may be, uh, including increasing the size of the Supreme Court. What about that debate, Jeannie? Just the idea that a panel like this is meeting, discussing potential changes to the Supreme Court, does that add even more to the idea that this court has become overly politicized? I think it does, and I think that's what we are hearing Justice Breyer, Justice Coney Barrett, and others respond to. And certainly, Chief Justice John Roberts knows this, uh, you know, fully well, and has has uh, you know really taken a lead on this. Um, you know, this commission is a, a, a number of experts in constitutional law and history and political science who are getting together at the behest of the president to look at critical issues like the length of service. Should there be a mandatory retirement? You know, court packing. One of the important things that Justice Breyer has been saying while he's been on his book tour is something I think worth reflecting on, and that is Democrats have to be very, very careful because what comes around goes around. An enormous amount of power concentrated in nine men and women in a very interesting term coming up. Jeannie Shanzano of Iona College, Rick Davis, Bloomberg News, political contributors both. Thanks to both of you for being with us. And thank you for tuning in to this special edition of Bloomberg Law as we look ahead to the Supreme Court term that begins October 4th. June Grasso will be back next week. I'm Nathan Hager. It's 57 minutes past the hour. And this is Bloomberg. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash FutureInvestor slash radio.